Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. So before we start this episode, I think it makes sense to just warn our listeners that we are going to be talking about a difficult topic this week. And I think that probably comes as no surprise to anyone. So um, just a warning for everyone who's listening that we will be discussing uh, residential schools. We will be discussing genocide. We will be discussing um, the violence that indigenous communities have experienced at the hands of the Canadian settler state. Uh, and uh, for for those of you who need a moment to uh, prepare yourselves or maybe not listen to this episode or, or whatever it, it means to you, um, we just want to make sure that you're prepared for that before we get into the topic this week. Yeah, this is going to be a, a difficult show for that reason. It's going to be difficult, I think, as well, because there's a lot of implications and actions and uh, ways to respond to this that uh, I hope that we can challenge listeners who may not know very much about the residential school system in Canada and may not have taken action before or may not have taken actions that have been enough. Uh, and so we hope that this conversation will also move those of you who've never taken kind of the action that you maybe now understand you need to take to, to take it. And, and hopefully we'll, I don't know, um, offer some ideas and some suggestions for places to find more information or more um, ideas for that kind of action. But hopefully this isn't this isn't just going to be an episode where we talk about some of the, the more disturbing details, um, but can also put this into a context of what this means in contemporary Canada and how we figure a way out. Uh, you know, we, I'm going to speak, a lot of this episode will be we white settler Canadians will figure out how we actually can start to address some of those harms in a meaningful way. All right. Before we do that, we do have some people to thank. There's been a lot of support for the podcast in the last week and the last couple of weeks. And so we really, really thank you all for that, uh, whether or not that support has come materially or morally. Um, but this week specifically, we would like to thank Nancy, Aaron, Timothy, Elaine, Sherry, Dan, Bird, Kate, Sylvia, Susan, Jackie, Arlie, Zachariah, Lucy, and Petra. Thank you so much for your support. I don't even really know how to begin this episode. Um, such a terrible, awful thing was discovered. But, um, you know, it, it even feels hard to say that it was discovered because I, I feel as though um, if you've been paying attention or know about uh, Canada, its history, its present and the way that it has always treated the indigenous people of this land, that this sort of discovery, this, these 215 children, um, these, the bodies of these children that were discovered at the site of um, a misnamed, you know, residential school, um, a genocidal tool, a tool of ethnic cleansing school. Uh, 
it it makes it makes perfect it it fits exactly into the way that Canada has exacted violence against indigenous communities its entire existence and it has for too long and for forever and I, it will likely continue to do this tried to present itself as something entirely different, tried to present residential schools as something entirely different um, than, than what they are, tools of genocide. I mean, you know, even Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party, recently talking about residential schools as positive institutions. Um, it... <sighs> It is a confirmation, this news, a confirmation of what so many people know, which doesn't make it any less devastating or any less abhorrent that this is something that has happened in a very, very recent history. This is, this is not something that, as is being talked about in a lot of in a lot of ways that is like, uh, you know, far away in our past. There are people who are alive today who probably know stuff about um, how this happened and, uh, you know, white settlers who know things about how this happened and aren't saying anything about it or haven't been made to be kept accountable or made accountable or anything like that. And it's it's just, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to begin speaking about it. Um, besides calling out, you know, many of the, 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 the way that the, the rhetoric surrounding this discussion, talking about it as though it's something in the past that we can look back on and say, man, wasn't that bad that Canada did that is just such crap. It's absolute bullshit. The first time that I ever really learned about residential schools I was in university and there was a presentation of someone who'd done a lot of research into the schools and uh, specifically trying to identify how many children really just, you know, didn't come home. And so as you say, you know, anyone that has any any knowledge of the schools, certainly anybody whose family knows of a great uncle or a or a, a, a cousin that did, that went to school and never came home and the family never found out what happened to them, the, there's no question that there's more victims than were officially accounted for through the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission process. Now, that process was a multi-year process where survivors of the system and their family members were able to uh, account uh, to government, to, to power, uh, what they experienced at the, at the, um, during their time in these schools. And first of all, if you've never read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, like, you have to read that. If you've never read the 94 Calls to Action, you have to read that. And through reading the commission report and through uh, reading the Calls to Action, you start to get a, 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 an image of what kind of change is needed within Canadian society to start to address the harms that these schools caused. And then, of course, you can go on, on to the, the final report of the 
of the Murder to Missing Indigenous Women and Girls Commission, which has many similar impacts that, that also come from, from residential schools and from what came after residential schools, the 60s scoop, which happened actually alongside residential schools still operating. Um, and today, the crisis of, uh, of Indigenous children in state care. If you haven't educated yourself about this stuff, you absolutely need to. You have to do that right away. And the reports are online and, you know, you can, you can look them up. But when you look at the calls to action in both reports, you just get the sense that this is so profound and so deep that it has been a tool that in the way that, that, that the Canadian government politicians have talked about residential schools has been a tool intended to marginalize their impact to a small number of people to, in some cases, as you said, Sandy, um, talk about how the impact was positive. And you can think of someone like Senator Lynn Bayek, who held her held her position f- like far too long while she was going on and on and on about the positive impacts of residential schools, um, who, of course, personally had a connection um, to, uh, I forget if it was the administration of the school itself. Uh, it, she's a representative from Northwestern Ontario, but she had a, a direct line and an interest, actually, in making sure that these, that the history and legacy of these schools was whitewashed and hidden. But I, I, I talk about the the, the, the the broadness of the recommendations because I think it's a really important reminder that this touches every aspect of Canadian society, that this, these were not marginal uh, locations of abuse and of horror, that they helped to form the Canada that we know today. And as they helped to form the Canada that we know today, Canada also had to uh, create this, invent this myth about what this country is. And the myths, or those myths about what this country is, stands in the place for Canadian identity and Canadian culture today. And if we don't understand the, 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 the like, why do we think, why do we think the, the, the Mounties musical ride and the Mounties wearing a, the red, pristine red jackets and being a pride of Canada, why is that part of the Canadian identity and the Canadian psyche and what we're known around the world for, while at the exact same time, the same people were over, literally overseeing genocide? That was deliberate. And the construction of modern Canadian identity happens alongside this school system, this institutionalization of, of children intended, specifically intended to commit genocide. And Canada has never had to account for that. No, it hasn't. And even where there are things that the Canadian government will point to to say, actually, yeah, we have. Like, we, there's been some settlements uh, for the survivors of residential schools. The Canadian government and Canadian officials will point to these things and say, well, well, you know, we, we're doing our best. We're working on it. You know, let's be very clear. One, there is no justice for genocide. And two, the government has done everything they can everything they can to limit how much they provide um, in terms of some sort of reparation or some sort of uh, accountability to survivors. And in fact, remain in court today fighting First Nations communities uh, 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 who are trying to challenge the way that the government um, distributed some of those um, those settlements uh, based on hiding information about how residential schools were operating from Indigenous people. To this day, they are still doing that. 
no matter, I mean, fuck, it just, it, it makes me so enraged, um, that, you know, Justin Trudeau's statement, which only appears on Twitter, there is no statement from the prime minister's office on their official, on their official, uh, communications page, none from the prime minister's office as of, as of Sunday night. Um, there's nothing official from the prime minister's office. There is something official on the government of Canada website, but there is nothing from the uh, prime minister's office. Uh, he's put on Twitter, you know, the news that remains were found at the former Kamloops residential school breaks my heart. It is a painful reminder of that dark and shameful chapter of our country's history. What? The history? I am thinking about everyone affected by this distressing news. We are here for you. We are here for you. He's in court right now. He is in court right now fighting First Nations communities who are attempting to challenge the way that they hid information before making settlements. This is like the double speak of Canada. This is how Canada lies to itself uh, and to the world about who it is. History, he's referencing history. There's an entire uh, uh, care system that continues to rip indigenous children from their families in a continued act of repression and oppression against indigenous people and in a continued act of colonial violence. This isn't some historical, uh, wow, look at this thing that we uncovered from the past. It's not. It simply is not. And any reference to that, I mean, for fuck's sake, the rest of us uh, who are not indigenous should be responding to all of that crap and saying, what the fuck is this? This is unacceptable. We cannot allow Canada to rewrite such a fucking present history. We can't allow them to rewrite our present as it is ongoing. It's absolutely outrageous. And Nora, like I... One of the things I was thinking about as this news came out and it took a couple days for the government to, you know, responding to, to the calls to lower the flags and, um, you know, the, the, the type of response that uh, people would expect from the government. I mean, you wrote on your Twitter that if this was seen in any other, if this was something that had happened um, to another community that Canada would have named days of mourning. And I mean, that seems obvious to me as well. And it just reminds me of, gosh, like I hate to bring it back up, but the, but the moment where you, you noted, you asked the question, you said, when the Humboldt crash happened, the response from the government, like, remember, the fucking queen commented on that shit, like, I, on the tragedy that had happened there, the, of, the, of the Humboldt bus crash, and you said... I wonder, I wonder if the outcry, the response, how much the whiteness, the 
uh, the maleness of these victims have to do with this. And this is 215 children, 215 children, 215 children. And yet today in Ontario, um, the the police at the steps of Queen's Park are pre- preventing ceremony from from happening. <sighs> It's absolutely ridiculous. Talking a little bit about one of these court cases that, that you've been referencing, I think there's been two that have made a lot of attention in the in the aftermath of this announcement, um, partly because of the wonderful activism of Cindy Blackstock, who's with the First Nations Child and Family Caring Society. And she's fighting for uh, children who live on reserve to receive the same amount of money than children who live off reserve from child services uh, funding. Um, And the government's been fighting her uh, tooth and nail for years and years and years. The second case are survivors from St. Anne's Residential School, which was a school that was located in Fort Albany in northeastern Ontario. And after the investigation of the abuses that happened there, an Ontario court ordered that the documents be released to the survivors so that they can see them. And the Canadian government has been fighting tooth and nail against the release of these documents. The, the, the survivors want access to these documents, but the Canadian government is hell-bent on destroying them. And the documents that have been released have been heavily redacted. And it's like th- these kinds of things could be stopped tomorrow. They could be stopped immediately. There's literally no reason for Canada to continue fighting, uh, fighting survivors of St. Anne's Residential School trying to get documents. There's absolutely no reason why there was money that was suggested uh, and turned down by the government in 2009 to find other unmarked mass graves at other residential schools across Canada because the stories of the survivors in those schools suggest that there's, of course, there's more. And, you know, it's it's so, like, it's so stunning to think of 215 children. Today, those 215 children would be grandparents and parents and cousins and they they would have double and triple and quadruple and five times the number of descendants. And they were just, their lives were just ended. And they're ended by the system controlled by one, in this case, in the Kamloops case, uh, the Catholic Church that has never apologized for its role in residential schools and uh, absolutely needs to be targeted. I mean, churches need to be protested. Anybody who's a practicing Catholic needs to be figuring out a way to to make a lot of noise within every diocese within this country that this is a pressing issue. There have been uh, order of religious organizations that have tried to reckon with their past. The United Church of Canada is a good example of that. Um, but the Catholic Church has not. And that's abhorrent, um, but they've also never been compelled to. And that goes back to the fault of the federal government. And so you see these these uh, incredibly oppressive institutions um, acting together, really, to to hide, to obscure, to malign, to make it really difficult for people to find out what's going on. And for so long, you know, it, it, it kind of worked, right? It kind of worked. These, these issues were not necessarily mainstream. Uh, can, white Canadians didn't necessarily know about the, the legacy, the, 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 ongoing, um, the ongoing legacy of residential schools. Um, it, it's not front page news still about how many Indigenous children uh, die in the care of the state, which is still today a massive crisis but but we're starting to learn a little bit more in the pub in a in a in the mainstream society of Canada let's say and it's interesting because it's it's now creating a situation where you have people who uh 
people who still are trying to hide this truth while the truth is more and more coming out, while while survivors are speaking out and more and more uh, platforms are opening up to them so that more and more of their voices are being heard. And of course, the accounting within the truth and reconciliation process, commission process was really, really important. Um, but the, the people who hold power, the conservative government was just absolutely brutal uh, to, to survivors. And they were brutal in how they managed Indigenous affairs when they were in power. And, and Justin Trudeau has not been much better. And, you know, I think that we need to think about, like, what exactly is possible through parliamentary means and what is necessary through extra parliamentary means, through public pressure and through civil disobedience and through, um, you know, forcing politicians to understand how important this is and to, to not allow someone like Carolyn Bennett to issue her sympathies as if she's just found out that a friend has passed away and not like she's literally the colonial head of, of Canada's government right now. You mentioned the 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 difference between the way that that the government and that you know other politicians, business people, uh, journalists even have reacted to this versus how they reacted to the humble bus bus crash. And you know, Twitter has been very full of those analogies. To actually, this whole weekend, it's it's been very common to see people make that um, that connection. Which is interesting because that obviously wouldn't have happened. I mean, I can say with certainty that wouldn't have happened three years ago. Um, and so that's an interesting sign of progress. But it's true. Like the, the fact that a mass grave of children doesn't trigger the prime minister to instantly kick into a period of mourning. It's like for, forget about all the circumstances, like all the circumstances around this. This is a question of life. And it's a question of signaling what's, what lives matter. And that in Canada, that 215 children found in a mass grave does not instantly kick into some sort of emergency protocol in this country. And that is just so shameful. And it's, and it's, it, it's also kind of disorienting because then all of a sudden, then the call becomes, we'll call for a day of mourning. And of course, a day of mourning is not going to do very much. I mean, it's, a, it's awareness raising, which is useful for some, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a minor way. Um, but that's not the demand for action. That's the demand to, to to commemorate life equally in this country, which our our government is incapable of doing. But it definitely speaks to the fact that there is um, that the, the the power in this country is held by people who absolutely will not reckon with this unless they're forced to. Uh, last week, in a column written by Murray Mandrick in the Regina Leader Post. He was profiling this guy. I think his name's Dale Richardson, but he's such a boring name that I might be wrong. So I'm sorry to anybody named Dale Richardson out there if this isn't you. Um, and this guy was talking about how toxic Twitter has become for, for political staffers. And he's dedicating his life to improving the mental health of political staffers. This guy was working for the government of Saskatchewan, which is, of course, a right-wing government. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And... In the article, this guy referenced as an example of how toxic and disgusting Twitter can get. He, he referenced my tweets about Humble. And this was published on Wednesday, last Wednesday. Oh, my God. And you just want, you just look at someone like Murray Mandrick, columnist at the Leader Post, who's so invested in the status quo in Saskatchewan, who's so invested uh, in a, this fellow, this Dale fellow, who is so offended by what I said as if, like, I mean, just, like, read it with a cooler head, guy. Like, it's not actually disgusting what I said. It was just the truth. And how invested politicians and their operatives are in making sure that Canada remains that white Christian country that loves hockey, that loves snow. And just how damaging 
that is and how and how it's used to continuously perpetuate violence in this country. And so if that's the case, then what does that mean for those of us that want to try and dismantle that? How do we how do we confront these national myths that are just so overbearing that their that their role is to hide the most heinous and disgusting and horrific crimes that have been committed by our governments, my government, my my ancestors, my you know, my communities. I think it's really important what you mentioned um, around how hard the government is trying to hide information about what happened at in residential schools. Because think about it. If, if this was some long ago past that we have now changed from, what would be the point in doing that? The government has spent millions of dollars, millions of dollars. Uh, they, uh, with respect to the St. Anne's case, they spent, uh, as of last year, $3.2 million. Uh, I just saw an article that said at the beginning of Justin Trudeau's uh, tenure as prime minister, over $100 million was spent fighting First Nations in court. Millions of dollars. Think about why. I mean, Nora, you talked about uh, when you first learned about residential schools. I first learned about residential schools in my final year of high school um, at, uh, forgive me for this, but at some random uh, WE conference, one by the WE organization, that, um, that I was sent to from my school. And it wasn't from them. It wasn't from WE. They had a celebrity uh, attending uh, a, a Canadian singer by the name of Estero, for those of you who are around in the 90s and remember her. And she used her time specifically uh, to say, oh, we shouldn't be talking about anything that's on, on the agenda today. We should be talking about uh, uh, Canada's shameful past and Canada's uh, ridiculous present. And do you all know about residential schools? And we were like, what are you talking about? And she taught us about residential schools for the time that she was present there with these kids on this wee trip. That's how I learned about it. What, why, if this was such a, uh, a thing of the past that isn't related to who Canada is today, why is it that Canada is spending so much money trying to hide this? And why isn't it the case that we don't learn about it in school? I think it's quite obvious. I think that if we did know on uh, mass, I think that the, the Canadian government has an interest in making sure that people are not aware of something that they would want to take action against. And so you are absolutely correct when you say there is only so much that people will get from the government, that people will get in trying to appeal to uh, the parliament to do something. And so it becomes, um, uh, you know, important to engage an extra parliamentary strategy on how we deal with these things. For those of you who are listening who are, you know, who are teachers or who are journalists or uh, what have you, you can, you can do the work to get this information out to as many people as possible. But beyond that, I think 
you know, the, the awareness is really important because awareness can lead to action from other communities for those uh, people who are not aware of the situation. It's really important. And then, you know, it becomes then really important how we talk about these things. We can't talk about them as though they are history. We can't say, man, what a shameful part of our history. We can't um, accept that kind of language. This is why it's really important to challenge those sorts of narratives. And for those of you who are um, listening, who are, again, teachers and journalists, you can do that work directly. You don't have to wait for new curriculums or uh, assignments, you know, pitch them or write on your own, do some freelancing, whatever it is. And, but beyond, beyond the, the work that we do to inform one another, we also have some work to do to, to, to cor- one uh, uh, fucking, you know, act against the government, uh, ensure that we are acting against the government and their, their record on this, but also to do what we can to, uh, to, to correct, to, well, there is no correct, I mean, as I've said before, there's no uh, justice for this sort of situation, but uh, to, to act, to act, to do what we can to act, to shift the, the impacts, the ongoing impacts, and to stop uh, the ongoing, the ongoing uh, strategies of settler colonialism that are impacting Indigenous people in so-called Canada. One of the things that has always struck me as being um, so invisibilized and so normalized that it's kind of hard to see the role that it plays in all of this is Canada's federation, mm-hmm. <laughs> like literally the structures of this country and how the federal government is the crown, right? So the federal government is the crown and it and through the crown had has formal legal relationships with uh, different indigenous nations across Canada and the and the responsibilities they have come through like you know more than a century of lawmaking but what complicates things is then you have the provinces and you have municipalities and the truth and reconciliation commission identified this that that changing canadian society has to be done through all levels of government because you know you just you just can't ignore like the province can't say well we're not the crown therefore this isn't our problem like the 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 jurisdictional issues cross back and forth so much that you have to have all of the 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 jurisdictional players you know, working in the same direction. But this is one of the ways that Canada has been constructed to make change so difficult. It's such a an entrenchment of the status quo that we need to see the, 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 the existence of the provinces and the existence of municipalities underneath the provinces. And with the, the overarching federal government, this has been set up to never have one person take blame for all of the horrors committed in the name of this country. And it's so fascinating because as more awareness grows and as residential schools are added to curriculum, problems then get get even more, let's say, complicated, right? That word complicated, it's been said so much the last two weeks in relation to Israel-Palestine. Oh, it's just so complicated. We can't solve this. You don't understand. You don't live here. It's complicated. And I, and I saw some people talking about the complications as well of the legacy of residential schools. I saw white people talking about the complicated legacy of, legacy of, of residential schools. And it's like, 
it isn't complicated. It's been made to be difficult because of the way that Canada has been set up. The provinces are like have such important responsibilities for health and education and social services and, and, and municipal, municipal spending. And then the municipalities actually have some of the most important frontline services. And then you have reserves that are given less money than municipalities are given mm-hmm. and told to do it all. They're given less money and they're told to coordinate education and healthcare and housing and sewage systems and social services and all of the money is completely constricted and held within the federal government's to two um, ministries that oversee services and and affairs and it gets very like difficult to follow sometimes if you're not really into constitutional issues and the second you know you might say something and someone's like oh that's the wrong jurisdiction and then you kind of feel like oh i don't actually know enough about this stuff this was all intentionally created it was all intentionally created to be a, a colonial country that would continue colonization for the existence of the country, that the colonial project was never going to end because the genocide was never going to be a success. Like people survived. Indigenous nations survived. Customs and traditions were kept and retaught and in languages were protected. And people went through incredible efforts to make sure that they were able to hold on to those cultures, even when they were illegal, even when the RCMP would arrest and and harass and, and injure people for, for practicing their religion. And so we have to understand that literally every fiber of this country has been built in this way to perpetuate this violence and that it is not good enough for us settler Canadians to look at public policy and say, okay, well, you know what? Um, yeah, this, this change here is good enough. This change here is good enough. No, this is where you have to, and this is maybe a conversation about allyship is, is perhaps a, a helpful one to, to kind of help close the show off a little bit. But this is where it's the nations themselves that are saying, give us land back. Give us reparations. Pay, pay us for everything that you took from us. Pay us for moving our our community into a floodplain so that you have access to some of the biggest diamond diamond mines in the world. Pay us for living upstream from the tar sands. You know, the the, the very large-scale changes that need to happen, rather than dancing within the, 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 the confines of the Federation and agreeing to play by their rules. And this is where the NDP is such a disappointment, right? They can't even stop old, for, old growth logging in British Columbia. Um, like, pr- progressives need to get it out of their mind that the solution is going to be held in Parliament. There, there might be some fixes held in parliament. There are some fixes held in parliament. Tomorrow, the the federal government, as we've said, could do many things that would make an instant difference. And then they could do many things to make a a, a medium term difference. But the very existence of Canada is the problem. And, And progressives need to think very hard about when we advocate for things, are we actually advocating for an entrenchment of a state that cannot be reformed out of being this colonial monster that will always can, can, um, that will always inflict colonial violence? Yeah, I think that that is uh, of critical importance um, in this discussion is how we how we show up in our different identities, you know, as um, 
I, I was, you know, I, I was, wasn't very present on Twitter this week, but I did sign in today and then immediately closed Twitter because I saw this article that I didn't read. I didn't want to fill my brain with this kind of uh, fluff, but, uh, you know, the, the Globe and Mail had decided this weekend <laughs> to publish uh, an op-ed from, I don't know who the fuck it was, uh, that that talked about actually how, um, from what I gather, because again, I didn't read it, but there was, there was a lot of commentary on it, that uh, white French Canadians are, are apparently of the most oppressed uh, in Canada and suggesting that that uh, needed to, to, be, to be recognized in an acronym or uh, so on in the way that we talk about um, uh, 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 oppressed people in Canada. And marginalized people in Canada, and I just, I just, I mean, the way one, the way that whiteness wants to have and control everything, (laughs) even oppression, you know, like whiteness is so uh, consumed with controlling every single piece of the way that our society is set up that it even wants to be able to own and control and name oppression and how it works and where it doesn't work and to 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 um uh to verify uh who is truly oppressed and who is truly not um but but let's i mean let's think about the fact that it was published in the globe and mail this fucking week what this week this was published in the globe and mail in the globe and mail who has been a, a partner of Canada's in um, in its refusal to uh, to to just acknowledge the fact that there has been genocide from Canada, that it has previously published um, opinion pieces that Canada it isn't a genocidal country, isn't the place that it is. It is part and parcel of denying um, this very real present of uh, settler colonial violence. And it's, gosh, like what a fucking mind fuck. Like you, you're, the evidence is all around us. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And to, to not see it is to believe that the disgusting place or the disgusting ways that the state treats indigenous people is somehow not the actions of the state. It's somehow instead that the blame is placed somewhere else. And I've talked about this before uh, on this show. Uh, Nora and I have spoken directly to MPs who have suggested um, uh, in no uncertain terms that they are uh, through and through racists, like fully, you know, uh, um, have have said, you know, indigenous people don't learn the same as we do. Indigenous people are not the same as we are. Like have we have spoken directly to people who run this country, who have those fucking beliefs and we're not only have those beliefs, we're absolutely fine looking people like me in the eye and saying this directly to my face. The Globe and Mail is a partner in that. And not just the Globe and Mail, so many of Canada's cultural institutions are a partner in that. In justifying a world where people will say behind closed doors, Canada has no responsibility here. 
that is their fault. Yeah, yeah. So now is the time of action. Well, the time of action was years ago. If you haven't talked to your parents about this and you're a settler, descendant, settler, direct, settler, whatever, if you are uncomfortable by that word, <laughs> get get comfortable with it. Or don't and, get comfortable with it, but at least fucking understand that it's for you. Right, right. Make sure that people in your family know about this. You know, I, I know that curriculum is changing and that, that younger people are learning about residential schools, but, you know, that's also not enough because there's a majority of people are not younger. <laughs> They've finished school. The vast majority of Canadians are not in school, haven't been in school in many years. And it's that generation, those generations that um, there's a lot of work to be done. I, you know, I can, I can think of my own family hearing discussions about some of the good that came out of those schools. And I imagine that that's a pretty common thing that white Canadians all across this country uh, have some element of that within their families. So make sure you are talking to your family members. That's the, that's the basic, the first step really that you could, that you need to take. And once you read the report from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, once you read the, the recommendations, the recommendations from the Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls uh, Commission as well, then you have to start thinking about action. And your action can't be you know, don't don't message your your two indigenous friends right now and ask for like advice for what to do. Don't unload your guilt and your sadness on them. I've seen a lot of comments from friends online saying that that they have white friends in their mentions doing this. Don't do that. <laughs> like, holy shit. If you need to talk to someone like you can message me and I can respond to you. But don't waste people's time. Don't waste indigenous people's time with your own processing of your feelings about this. Then take take that action. Find out what in your workplace or what in your community or what in your life you're able to do and get involved in a local organizing group. Get involved in something if you aren't yet involved in it. Um, there's there's really no shortage of options for, for you to, to actually do something. Um, but that's the imperative is that you do something, that you take that action, because at the end of the day, this is your problem as a Canadian this is your problem. This this is your country. And if you aren't going to be the one to help fight to change it, then then who the fuck is going to do that? <laughs> like, like the you know, there's there's going to be more. There's going to be more. There's going to be another announcement of some horrific thing that happened in Canada's memory, in, in Canada's living memory, in Canada's present. There's going to be more. And we can't be surprised every time. We can't be shocked every time. Like we have to expect this and we have to fight to make sure that, that, that what we are able to influence, that we influence that. The time, is, uh, the time is now. And if you're from another oppressed community, maybe you're black or you're a refugee or uh, a migrant of some kind, um, we have some responsibilities here too. We should really be thinking as we're fighting in our own communities, as we're trying to survive in our own communities, about the ways that settler colonialism also impacts us. All of these things are related. And the oppression of Indigenous people is directly tied and linked to the, the oppression of, of, uh, of Black folks all over the world, uh, and certainly within the borders that are Canada. 
we should be thinking of the ways that these things are tied up together and where we can work together and ally um, on on different issues, whether that's around the continued actions of the police and the way that they they target and harm us. Or even, you know, if we're talking about migration, the ways that the borders cut through First Nations and um, uh, and enable another level of jurisdictional, not my fault, not my fault um, type of uh, 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 response from governments uh, between Canada and the United States. I mean, there's there's so much um, that, uh, again, the governments will say are really complicated. But when you take a look at it and you uh, you break it down, um, you know, it's it's not it's not all that complicated. It's this 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 land uh, and the, the people who were destroyed, whose communities that they tried to destroy in order to to make space for all of the settlers who are now here. Um, the people who were brought here to 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 to, to make uh, this land what it is like it, it's the oppression um, and the outcome is is pretty simple why uh, they did this to us and what the outcome has been um, in terms of the way our society is organized right now who matters who doesn't um, who gets attention who doesn't who gets uh, justice, who never does. Like it's, it's, all, it's, it's all very obvious that it was set up in this way intentionally and it remains intentionally. Um, uh, it remains uh, that these governments, those in power, intentionally want to keep it that way. And again, this, the, 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 the way that the government is doing everything that it can to prevent people from getting access to just fucking information on the way that this shit has gone down is the proof of that. We should make sure that we're, we are doing everything that we can to get the information that we need as to how our, how our uh, oppressions are linked and where we can come together to fight. Um, because it is, in that, it is in that coming together uh, that we have strength against the, the power of the settler state. And it's, it's very crucial that you know, we, we don't only do that in these moments, but that we make that a commitment of the actions that we are taking all the time. 